Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Show. I have Amrit Robbins on today, who is the founder and CEO of Axiom Cloud. Something amazing that Amrit did is he basically turned a failure from a previous startup around climate change and hardware into a new startup based around software and climate change, recruited his investors, his employees, and his customers over to this new one, even though he failed before and got everyone to do it. Basically grew 300% over the last six months and has some amazing ninja ideas in terms of how to build a product created around an outcome. We've talked about some things here that never talked about before. You're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Amrit Robbins, who is the CEO and founder of Axiom Cloud, and he views climate change as humanity's most important challenge. He's passionate about commercializing new tech that align best with decisions that create sustainable choices. Something uh, really cool is when the reason why he founded Axiom Cloud was to unlock multiple massive client opportunities in commercial refrigeration making the electricity grid more flexible and intelligent. And he's combining AI and other capabilities to do that. Amrit, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yes. I am I mean, I'm excited, dude. There's a lot of really cool things that we talked about in the pre-show that I'm excited to get into in terms of your journey here. But before we do, let's do a real quick revenue rundown. Where are you guys at in terms of your stage of the journey in terms of your ARR? We are... Uh... We had just broken the two million ARR mark, um, so that's that represents. I we've nearly tripled in the last six months. Wow, three X in six months. How did how did you do that? Like, what was the the leading indicator that, or the leading activity? I should say that that enabled you to triple in, you know, six months. That's that's amazing. Well, our we have a land and expand model. So, with us, you know, we're selling into these really huge grocery chains and cold storage companies. Um, I guess by way of background, we're providing software that helps them to optimize their refrigeration to solve the, the these companies' biggest energy sustainability maintenance operations issues. But the whole idea here is start really small. Solve one problem for one stakeholder at corporate using one of our features um, at a really small handful of sites. Demonstrate results, show them that we're the real deal and that we're not snake oil, um, and then ultimately give them something really tangible uh, that you know measures results. From there, you know it's so obvious to expand with us. And long story short, that's how we're driving this massive growth as we start small with a lot of these accounts, with a lot of these customers and partners, um, and build from there. So we're able to build on that success, but you know, starting in five or ten stores. Uh, you know, and going to 100, 150, that's easy once you have the results from those first five. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you provide the results and I mean, like we talked in the pre-show, like I have an extensive experience in the the retail grocery vertical and they love the the 10 store or five store pilot just to try it out and see how it goes. So uh, I think that's a very, very smart strategy. So how I know you said you had a land and expand model. But what's your primary go-to-market in terms of revenue growth? Like, how do you execute that land and expand? Probably be a better way to, to ask the question. Well, um, so we start by uh, a really important thing to know about Axiom and our product is that 
it's incredibly broad in the sense that by using this playbook that's already been successfully applied in almost every adjacency of cloud, of data, of analytics, of AI, of automation, we can, by, by applying that playbook to the refrigeration assets in a grocery store's fleet of, let's say, 2,000 facilities, we're able to solve the single most painful problem associated with energy maintenance sustainability operations that that entire company faces because they all come back to refrigeration. And so um, step one for us is basically building relationships with those key stakeholders in corporate who are overseeing those particular areas, who are facing those particular pain points, and then figuring out you know, which one of these folks is really truly feeling enough pain to make a change to try something different. Um, and then you know, building that trust and getting the opportunity to show them what we can do with a couple of stories. That's step one for us is, you know, getting them to sign up to, to try one of the things we do. Today, we go to market with five modules solving five pain points for five key stakeholders at, at corporate, but it's not a committee sale. We, you know, we typically start by solving one problem for one of those stakeholders using one of our modules um, and then building the relationship from there. Ah, oh, love that. So who are the stakeholders? Who are the five stakeholders? It's the people in charge. Uh, it's, it's typically, you know, the one person in charge of energy, maintenance, sustainability, operations, or compliance. That's the fifth one. Um, compliance is really interesting function at grocery that can be really broad, but a lot of times it's kind of like globbed on to a different role. Um, long story short, typically the largest compliance issue that grocery stores face, especially when it comes to facilities, is related to refrigerant leaks. Mm. Because refrigerant is an incredibly potent greenhouse gas, has all kinds of other really bad environmental effects. And if you look at total emissions from a grocery chain, scope one, scope two emissions, um, those refrigerant leaks are a massive component. Uh, the number varies a lot depending on which company and who you ask. But um, you know, typically, it's you know, it's if not number one, it's it's number two or number three in terms of total emissions. Okay, I gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So. I think that's that's really sharp. It's really interesting too. Is you got five different modules that could hit the different stakeholders, which makes it super easy to expand. I imagine the solution is very tight that in each module uh, to be aligned with like the pain points and the challenges that that each end user stakeholder has. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's that's the whole point. So the whole you know we actually switched away from kind of more like esoteric app names really recently. And, and, and in fact, our website is not even up to date. We aren't even showing the five modules yet. But the whole idea here is being super outcomes-based. So do you care about reducing energy costs? Use the energy module. Do you care about uh, you know reducing maintenance costs? Use the maintenance module. Do you care about reducing refrigerant leaks? Use the refrigerant leak module. So you know, we're trying to be incredibly clear and outcomes-driven. I mean, that's the way to go now. I mean, like... Deloitte did, I think it was Deloitte did a study on this. It was about a year and a half ago, but it was, it was saying that the primary thing that buyers want, there's three core areas that they make buyers or that the buyers want and enable them to buy. One is it's basically outcome. Like what's, what's the exact outcome it creates? Two, it's um, personalized to them. And three, uh, I think the other one was like a guarantee. Like there, there people are looking for guarantees now. Uh, to mitigate risk. So, I, I mean, I think that's super clever. The way you did it is just like, do you care about this? Look at this. Do you care about this? Is that like how you leverage it in your sales motion? You just look at, like, ask them a question around the problem and then filter them towards the the module? Or how do you kind of approach that? Uh, it's really interesting you bring that up. Um, 
So we are, I would say one of our strengths as a sales organization is asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, like we just spun up a sales organization what, nine months ago at this point. Every time we bring on a new account executive and start doing phone calls with them with, with customers and prospects, you know, we'll come off that first call and they'll be like, my God, I can't believe how many questions you asked and how many they're willing to answer. I've never been that brave to ask so many questions. Um, and so, yeah, it's, you know, it's figuring out who that stakeholder is, doing all the research, understanding what is their specific pain point, and then just digging into it with them and letting them talk about it and complain about it and, you know, um, get angry about it and cry about it on the phone with us. Um, and ultimately, you know, that's how we really truly understand what our customers care about. And yeah, I think one of our superpowers, and I don't use that word lightly, is really truly understanding our customers and having that empathy with customers. Um, yeah, if, if you had to stack up all of our all of our real differentiators, I think that's right at the top of the list. Okay. Yeah, and that's an amazing. I mean, that's such a required skill in enterprise sales, especially with the size of the companies you're dealing with that most salespeople suck at. You know, so. I think that's a great model that that you're leveraging for that. How do you create like a, and maybe, or do you have like a closed loop system then where that filters in a product or how do you kind of create a system of continuous feedback from that customer pain and understanding into the product to to create your solution? Well, um, there's definitely feedback from the customer being fed into customer success motion. So like once we've sold the customer, how do we truly support them um, on their journey and, you know, accomplishing these goals? And then also back into the sales motion. So, uh, you know, what's working and what's not, what's resonating, what's, you know, getting in the way, what's being annoying. Um, and then back into product and engineering as well. So, you know, we use Gong. Do you, are oh, yeah, you familiar, I feel with familiar with them? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we use Gong to record these calls and we're constantly you know, sending around snippets. Um, and we have, you know, basically a database of these like key pieces of customer feedback um, that we're, you know, putting the gong snippet in and then tagging what kind of feedback it is and then running it through the process. You know, do we want to build this? Do we not? Uh, you know, what kind of features is this associated with or not? Love that. We can always do better with product management related stuff, but um, yeah, yeah, customer feedback is a key driver. Yeah, it's very smart. Uh, especially leveraging that and, and executing against that. I, I guess like, let's take, let's shift gears a little bit. What, what's your, what's your journey? Like, how did you get here? Um, and how did you end up creating your company? Like what happened prior and and just walk us through that real quick. So embarrassing story. Um, my parents, when I was like 16 or so, took me to um, you know this crunchy granola movie theater in Portland, Maine. And, uh, and we saw an inconvenient truth there, which was the, uh, the Al Gore movie. Al Gore, that? yeah. They, they got a lot of flack over the years. <laughs> Love it. Okay, go ahead. That's and, hilarious. Uh, that, I didn't know that was out. I, the funny thing, wait, wait, completely the thing is, I didn't even know that was out of the theater. I thought that went straight to TV. So I think that's uh, pretty cool. You were one of the, you know, 15 people that saw in the movie theater. You know, I'm joking around, right? I, I think the movie did pretty well, though. Like, Back in the day, I, it's funny though. Like I don't remember. Maybe it was it was it like a wide release or something, or was that more a niche release? I know this is totally random off topic, but I'm just <laughs> probably just a niche release. I mean, this was like a little tiny you know, okay. crunchy granola movie. So keep going, man. It was not like an AMC or something. Totally but, irrelevant. Keep going. Yeah, it totally rocked my world. It changed everything for me. Um, you know, when uh, it became kind of like my life mission to focus on climate change. Um, ultimately. 
uh, went to Stanford because I wanted to solve climate change through policy. My thought was, you know, with the stroke of a pen, we can solve this whole thing uh, by, you know, changing folks' behavior. But got to Stanford and within the first month, switched to engineering, caught the entrepreneurship bug. Um, I really love technology. I love making things. I love understanding how things work. Um, and also I had this realization that, you know, policy really is forcing people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't naturally do. Um, whereas if you can come up with a truly scalable technology solution that's better than what's out there and also happens to have, you know, each, each incremental unit has a positive effect on climate change, like that's what's massively scalable. Um, that's where you can have that, you know, explosively huge effect that I, that I really want to have. So that's how I got into entrepreneurship. Um, after Stanford, worked at an energy services company where our largest customer was a major national grocery chain. So that's how I got exposure to this particular vertical and uh, this particular asset class, refrigeration, and just began to understand like, massively underserved, completely ignored, viewed as a, a necessary evil in the, in the business, and also happens to be, uh, you know, a typical grocery store spends more money each month to power and maintain refrigeration than they take home in profit. So, you know, all these things started coming together and, and made me realize, like, this is not only a really untapped opportunity, it's also a massive climate change opportunity mm. uh, because of the way that these refrigeration systems consume power from the grid, um, you know, in a very large and sustained way. Um, and also, they're leaking refrigerant like a sieve, which happens to be one of the most potent greenhouse gases out there. So um, kind of a, you know, a double impact possible from a climate perspective. All that being said, Started a company, uh, a former, a, pre a previous company, and our main product was a hardware solution. It had the form factor of two 20-foot shipping containers. And we were freezing and melting tanks of salt water to store cooling services for later use. So the whole idea here was, rather than using a Tesla lithium-ion battery uh, to store electricity for later mm -hmm. use, what is this building using all the electricity for? It's cooling. So let's store that cooling for later use instead at you know, one-fifth the cost. And so um, you know, ultimately, we you know, built a great team around that, uh, put together a great group of investors, um, you know, sold and deployed and commercialized this product to, to Amazon, Whole Foods, Walmart, um, but began to realize that it wasn't really a truly scalable opportunity. And each one of these individual deployments was a, a massive project. It wasn't really a product. Mm. Uh, and that's because, you know, it takes nine months and half a million dollars to permit putting a 20-foot shipping container behind a, a Whole Foods in California. So uh, we began to have some of those kind of nastier realizations. Um, and even though it was still a 2x advantage on batteries, it, you know, it wasn't enough to be truly scalable or move fast enough. So long story short, we went out and tried to raise our Series B in, what was it, like March of 2020, um, which was not the greatest time to try to do anything. Uh, when it comes to business for any business, um, if you remember that time period. And uh, so we shut down the business shortly thereafter. This kind of doubled down my conviction on this vertical and this asset class as an opportunity, though. And I, you know, uh, I was just so excited about what we could do. Uh, and at this point, we had really developed that understanding of what our customers care about and what they need. And so, uh, you know, I was able to re recruit most of the former team. Uh, almost all of our former customers and even some of our former investors to join me on the next phase of this journey, uh, Axiom Cloud, which is the current company. And the whole idea there was, let's solve an even broader set of problems related to refrigeration and sustainability for these customers, retail grocery cold storage. 
but rather than using hardware, let's use a SaaS model. It's use cloud-based software, and uh, and with the core of it being AI. And so uh, here we are, about three years later, and growing extremely fast. Uh, we just passed a key inflection point, and I think another one is coming up soon. Well, great work on that and being persistent with what you believe in, and I think the fact that you were able to recruit almost like all your previous team, your all like your investors and your customers, even though you quote unquote failed last time, like is is a an amazing testament to to what you're doing. So like, and that's very very rare. So how did you do that? Like. What what was involved with that? Because like that's a story that I don't think I've heard, and I've interviewed hundreds of of founders on this show. So I would love to hear how you executed that. Yeah, well, it was a really dark and terrible period. Honestly, um, you know, a company failing is is not fun for anyone. Um, and so, yeah, when when it became clear the company was going to fail, we um, you know, we wound up operations. Um, we sold off all the assets. Um, you know, we, we put the hand, put, put the assets into the hands of a, uh, of a firm that deals with that sort of, this sort of stuff and, and, you know, wound it all up, uh, put a nice bow on it and sold it essentially. Um, and then from there, um, you know, then, then we were kind of clear to go and do whatever else we wanted to do. Um, at that point, it was a really interesting moment in time and the, really the depths of the pandemic when everyone was, you know, the fear was at its highest point. Um, nobody really knowed knew what was going to happen next. And so starting a new company was seemed like the craziest thing in the world. And so uh, a few months later, um, you know, we began starting to talk to former customers uh, and former employees about this idea. And we were so surprised to realize that people trusted us. People were excited to continue working on this, on this problem and working with this customer set and working on, you know, these sorts of issues. And so that gave us the confidence to, to keep going. And so it's kind of an iterative thing where, you know, we talk to more folks and they're excited and it gives us more confidence to keep going. Um, so, yeah, it was really, it was an interesting journey. Um, and yeah, we were able to leverage a lot of the relationships that we had previously, but uh, it was a completely new technology. It was a completely new product. Uh, we were, you know, it was, you know, all, all new contracts, et cetera. Yeah. So it was very much starting a new company, but with a big handicap of having those, some of those relationships and understanding in place and also some experience of having worked as a team previously. Yeah. So like, but why, here's the thing. Cause it, the, when you did this was one of the largest times of uncertainty. So do you think the core reason why you were able to pull it off is because people had a deep belief on what, why you were trying to do things? I think that that I would like to think that was a part of it. Um, but I also think maybe another part of it was that, you know, basically at the bottom had fallen out of the job market. So, um, you know, <laughs> I can't take all the credit here. I think there was basically uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, economic factors as well of folks thinking like, you know, going out and getting a job right now is going to be really tough. So, you know, why not try out this new Axiom Cloud thing for a little bit? Yeah. So uh, it's a combination of a lot of things. I think you're underselling what you did, though. I, I think it's a pretty amazing situation for you to be able to do that. How 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, I think the uniqueness of how you, the simplicity that you approach product design and creating solutions based on outcomes is is really, really strong. So what's your mental framework for doing that? Like, say, like, what would you tell, you know, 21 year old version of Amrit that was creating a new product for a new SaaS company in terms of like how he would create it, uh, what he would what would he include in product design and, and how would he surface to make sure that, hey, this is a really good opportunity? I could answer this question for like 20 minutes. So maybe you better like, do you, are you here about like company building or more about like the sales element or product development? Or We're talking about product, man, like product development. Cause like my gut's telling me, I mean, I've had a lot of people talk about sales on this show and, and I have an extensive background on it. So I would love to hear your your view on product development and then the company building side of it because it's something we haven't talked about as deep with on here. Yeah, absolutely. On the product side, um, so the whole practice and be- like best practice of product management was something honestly that I I could I'm kicking myself for saying this now, but it's true is that I wasn't familiar with it um, going into building either one of these companies. Really? And so the idea of yeah, I mean, we were very much an engineering-led uh, organization, um, and engineering and product management are just such different functions. And that was something that didn't really, I didn't truly understand until uh, maybe a year into this company. So going back in time, if I could do it all over again, I think having a product person, uh, even on the founding team, uh, could be incredibly transformational and help us to avoid so many potholes that we did fall into, um, and would continue to help us to avoid following the future potholes of building the wrong thing or doing it at the wrong time or building it for the wrong scale. Um, or yeah, ultimately just not truly understanding what the customer wants or not getting it quite, not getting it right. Uh, you know, cause ultimately we have gotten it right enough every single time for the most part, there's been a couple of major misses, but by and large, I think it's been a combination of like an intuitive understanding of what our customers want and some sheer luck where we built the right right things enough for our customers to get really excited and and buy a lot of it. But ultimately there's there's always so much room for improvement here in terms of making things that much better. So, uh that's what I would say on the product side is, you know, true product management. Um having that built into core competency on the team from the beginning. The other piece which I think is maybe a little contrarian is having a people ops person, you know, zooming out to company building, having a people ops person on the team someone who can deal with recruiting, with uh, performance management, with uh, you know, uh, team organization, things like that, uh, team culture. That has also been really transformational for us at Axiom Cloud. We didn't have that on our previous team and we suffered because of it in hindsight. And if I do start another company in the future, those are two disciplines of folks that I want to have, uh, if not on the founding team, then on the, the founding executive team. Mm. Uh, they're just incredibly transformational and uh, I would never want to build a company without them. Again. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, 
I would think it would, if you're, it, it all depends, right? If, if you get funding and stuff like that, I could see that being easier to pull off, at least on the people ops, right? To have that on the founding team product, I could see that still going either bootstrapped or funding, right? Cause like that's almost like the architecture of the value you're creating for your customer. You know what I mean? So that makes a lot of sense in terms of that, which is really interesting to hear you say that because I think you've done an, an amazing job. So then let's fast forward a little bit, right? So that's kind of what you learned, but like the uniqueness of the, let's say the five modules, five stakeholders, how did you land on that? Because that's that's something that I haven't heard a lot of folks talk about that that strikes me as like super simple, but super smart at the, at the same time. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so we actually completed this transition back in, you know, just in the last couple of months here in, in Q2. And we're still in the process of rolling it out. So it's not even live on the website yet. But ultimately, we're thinking about, you know, what are the biggest areas of confusion that our customers are facing today? Mm-hmm. And we realized that a lot of that can be solved by just being so much simpler and more streamlined in the way that we talk about what we do. And more specifically, figuring out what are the key outcomes our customers care about and uh, which ones are you know in their purview or in their PNL or in their budget that they're able to focus on and pay for. So in other words, the closer that we can get, we, we know who our five key stakeholders are. We've had success selling to all five of them at this point. If we can wrap up each one of their problem statements into a really simple single sentence and then deliver a product that just absolutely nails that problem, um, it's just so obvious uh, to do that. And so that's what we did. Yeah, I, I like that problem statement in a single sentence. I think that's great. Like uh, the other thing is like the key outcomes. Like so, that's typically the KPIs that they care about, right? Like how are they evaluated? What are their expectations? Uh, I think that's that's a great way to to succinctly describe it. So, uh, okay, let's. So, what what model of AI are you running on with your product? Then, is there what, or what large language model or platform are you leveraging for that? I'm just curious. There's been so many changes in that so fast. <laughs> um, so many changes so fast. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to give you a squishy answer on that. Part of it is because I don't know, and the second part is because I don't know what my CTO would want me to say <laughs> here um, or not say. But um, basically. Uh, Zooming out a little bit, what I think is really interesting about this business and a lot of other businesses I think that are similar to us is that honestly, like 70% of the value we deliver doesn't require AI at all. Mm -hmm. And basically what I'm talking about is having computers use really basic monitoring, data cleaning, data organization, labeling, um, and then kind of like really basic... um, uh, you know, basically uh, detection of changes, or in other words, you know, anomaly detection, fault detection, if you will. Um, and then doing that at scale in a way that produces outputs that are not overwhelming for humans. So rather than having, you know, 10,000 flags a minute, you have two per day or something like that. Um, about the most important things, uh, the biggest problems, the biggest opportunities, et cetera. And just having eyes on all these assets all the time is is I would argue the majority of the value that we provide our customers. So not rocket science doesn't even really require AI. Um, could easily be done by humans if people had budget to pay for a bunch of additional humans, which no one does, and so it's typically not done. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like remedial work almost for a lot of our customers. It's helping them get from negative one back to zero. 
And then the AI portion that we're that we're putting on top of that, that's where we're able to help our customers really supercharge this and um, and gain that competitive edge on on their competitors by uh, you know d- pretty dramatically reducing costs and improving uptime and customer experiences and things like that. And so the AI is coming in the form of basically rather rather than looking at one data stream and saying, hey, something changed in this one data stream. Now it's looking holistically at hundreds of data streams. And we're not even telling the AI what to look for or what combinations of changes to look for. We're just telling the AI to look at these data streams and accomplish certain outcomes and the AI figures out how to do it. Um, and so guiding that process is, you know, it's non-trivial. This is a big engineering challenge. You know, we have a lot of IP around this uh, in progress at least. Um, and so, but yeah, it's, uh, that's that's where things get really magical and exciting. That's awesome. So, what would you say is the the biggest challenge in terms of growing revenue that you're running into right now? The biggest challenge. Um, so, it's interesting because folks ask me this a lot. They're like, "What's your biggest bottleneck?" And I would say, every single stage of the pro- of the process, we have bottlenecks. Um, we're an early stage company, so it's all about you know whack a mole on those bottlenecks. I would say, right in this moment, perhaps our biggest bottleneck is um, really on scalability of our platform. So put another way, you know, we're selling like gangbusters right now um, to the point where our team is saying, uh, you know, we need more people uh, to basically get these sites deployed, to get these sites operating at a really high level um, so that we can keep our customers happy and make sure that they're interested in buying even more in the future. And so that's a fun and awesome challenge to have, but it's an important and meaningful challenge nonetheless, and we can't screw it up. And so that's why we're investing in more people to you know, manually plug that gap and also investing in more people to build out the automation so that we don't have to do any of that work manually in the future. And you know, like I mentioned in the pre-show, this is kind of the story of every AI company, right? You develop a new feature, or even before you develop a new feature, you start talking about it with customers and you start selling it. You figure out if they like it. You figure out which parts of it they like or how to tweak it. Do it all manually on end for a period of time, and then automate it after the fact. So, um, and and it's cyclical. So, uh, you know, that's how we think about the world, at least, and I think a lot of other companies do as well. Uh, but yeah, I would say that's our big challenge right now. Excellent. Well, we are up on time, Amrit, and I, I think this is a great episode, man. Really, really different way that I thought we were going to go and talk about in terms of some of the the content, but I absolutely loved it. It was very unique and uh, very eye-opening and gave me some ideas on things. So uh, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Axiom Cloud? And then we'll wrap it up, man. AxiomCloud.ai. Uh, my name's Amrit. Feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, it's, it's great to connect. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was a really fun episode. Well, thank you for being on and thank you for listening today. Uh, I really hope this you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And, you know, maybe rewind and think, listen to some of the things that Amrit said specifically about product and how simple he, he created that product design and um, the key outcomes that they care about. Problem Satan sentence statement in a sentence. Sorry, this is my fifth, fifth podcast review of the day. Um, anyways, well, I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.